You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to stop my crying now. John chapter 1 this morning, um, the ability to praise the Lord for what he's done for us and saved us. Hopefully you can say that this morning. If not, hopefully you'll have the opportunity to say that by accepting Christ as your uh, personal Savior. We're in John chapter 1 this morning. Uh, I felt like I'd be fancy and have a coffee cup here, but I'll use water instead because my wife tells me if I drink coffee before I preach, it'll be 15 minutes and nobody will know what I said at all. Do be in prayer for uh, Pastor as he's over in Israel suffering for the Lord. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, just an amazing opportunity he has uh, this week just to uh, have the Bible, so to speak, come to life uh, for him even more. And uh, some sermons I think he's already probably prepared. He's probably got a whole series ready to go when he gets back. But be in prayer for him as far as safety goes. Um, and just uh, for uh, the rest of the family while they're back here, you know, they've got to make their own dinners and stuff. It's just a terrible thing for that situation. <laughs> John chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to be going through from verse 15 through 51, but for sake of time and all of you, I will not be reading all of those verses. We're going to start here in verse uh, number 35 here, though. John chapter 1, verse number 35, uh, we begin to see, uh, continue to see the ministry of John the Baptist here, and uh, it was interesting, we've, we've titled this series uh, Closer, talking about John the Apostle. And as I begin to read this text, a lot of it is John the Baptist. So these are two different Johns here, but both have an amazing ministry here. And John the Baptist um, does quite a job of preaching the coming of Jesus Christ. So verse number 35, just before this, in verse number 15 downwards, we see John the Baptist preaching um, the coming of Jesus Christ. And we see him baptizing and doing amazing ministries leading up to Jesus Christ coming here into his public ministry. And in verse 35... Uh, verse 34, we'll start here. It says, And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So we see John here finally seeing Jesus again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence thou knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, 
when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. This morning, for a few moments, I want to talk about this, Jesus as the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, as we looked at the beginning of John chapter 1 and talking about how you are the word of God and how precious your word is to us, Lord, and how precious you are to us, Lord, we look at you this morning as the gospel. Lord, the good news for all mankind. And Lord, if we're not careful, sometimes we don't look at you as good news. We don't share you as good news. And yet, Lord, you're even more than good news, Lord. You are the best news. And I pray this morning as we look at your word, Lord, as we evaluate, Lord, your call upon each of our lives and things you would have us to change and improve upon and goals we should have, Lord, that you would allow us to open our hearts and minds to your leading in each of our lives, Lord, that we would be prompt in obeying, wholly committed to you. And I pray, Lord, that as I preach this morning, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross, Lord, gives me wisdom to say only the words that need to be said, and it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The word gospel means good news. I don't know about you, but I love to share good news. You guys like sharing good news with other people? I enjoy sharing good news. For instance, I love to tell someone about, you know, the promotion that I got at work. You know, I'll tell everybody about that, how I became, you know, moved up in the, in the business, so to speak. I love to tell people about, you know, that game-winning home run that my son hit to win the baseball game, because that's an exciting thing. That's good news, right? Even for some of us, you know, when we have a child that learns to walk, I love to share that good news and maybe some video footage of how things are going. All of us love to share good news in our life. But my question for you this morning is this, do you love to share the best news? A recent study done by a church researcher, George Barnum, maybe perhaps many of you have heard of him, pinpoints the main reason why many believers do not share their faith. And he says this, in asking Christians about their witnessing activities, we found that nine out of ten individuals who attempt to explain their beliefs and theology to other people come away from those experiences feeling as if they have failed. And so many believers feel inadequate in their ability to share their faith, and so they simply do not share it at all. If I were to give you a job and say, there's no way that you can complete this, or you feel like you have no training to do it, many of us would say, I'd rather just do something else. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, the good news, the great news, many people, 9 out of 10 according to this study, do not share it because they feel like they are inadequate to do so. And we often feel we have to know the correct words to say or have some profound scholarly insight. You know, use those big $5 words in order to explain the gospel or be uh, really versed at apologetics and know all the answers to every scientific question in order to share the gospel. And we're afraid if somebody asks a question, we're going to trip up and mess up so we just don't do anything at all. But what's interesting is this, in Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says this, "...in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." Evangelism is not about the right words. Evangelism is not about having those big words that you can share to someone and feel like you're so intelligent. It's not about having even all of the answers. It's about being faithful and sharing the passion that you have 
of telling others about what Jesus Christ has done for you. Here in this passage of Scripture, in our passage, we'll observe how Christ, he didn't begin with a list of, of propositions and spiritual laws and theological proofs and arguments. Instead, he begins by saying these three words, come and see. Come and see. And we'll come to understand that real evangelism is this. It's an invitation to a relationship. It's an invitation to a relationship, and extending an invitation is something that, get this, anyone can do. And so in order to have an impact in this world, we have to see Jesus Christ as the gospel and two characteristics of him as the gospel. If you're following along there in your bulletin, I encourage you to take notes with this. Number one, we see Jesus Christ here being the evangelistic gospel. Only if the slides will work, though. There we go. The evangelistic gospel. Take a look with me at verse number uh, 35 here. It says, Again the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. In verses 35 through 39, we can see some very, I think, simple points that all of us can draw uh, about evangelism here and the importance of it and how it can be accomplished here. And the passage begins with John the Baptist, who had been baptizing in the Jordan River, and preaching about the coming Messiah. Well, we had heard about, even last week, the, the ministry of John the Baptist, and how he was the forerunner to Jesus Christ coming eventually here. And here in this verse, we see him say, Behold the Lamb of God. You know, when John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God here, he was relaying, you get this, centuries of messianic prophecies that have been preached for a long, long time. We're relaying this message about the good news. Turn over to, with me to Isaiah chapter 53. John the Baptist didn't just come up with this catchy saying like, hey, you know, what, what could you say about Jesus to kind of build him up? When he says Jesus is the Lamb of God here, he's relaying this passage we see in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 5. So familiar, I think, as we sang that last song. It so beautifully pictures it here. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says this, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Jesus is the Lamb of God as the gospel. He is evangelistic. Letter A there, we see preaching evangelism, preaching Evangelism. Verse 36 says, And looking upon Jesus as he, saith, he, as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. You know, we talked about this a little bit last week, but you know, you, you understand that the Word of God is paramount to evangelism. Paul, one of the greatest Christians we ever known to have lived, who had planted so many churches and had won so many to Christ, Paul says this when it talks about the gospel and someone getting saved. He says in Romans chapter 10, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And in verse 17 he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the what? The word of God. Folks, when it comes to evangelizing and sharing the word of God, when it comes to being a gospel and sharing the good news, we have to be sharing the word of God. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto what? Salvation. 
It's not my enticing words. It wasn't Paul's enticing words. Paul perhaps was a great speaker, but he says it's not about what I can say to impress people. We don't have to be car salesmen in order to share the gospel. We have to share the word of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. And in order to be an evangelist, as God has called us to be for each of us, we have to be willing to preach the word of God. As John here declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God and this long-anticipated Messiah, you see two disciples hear what John the Baptist had been preaching here. And what these two men heard about Jesus made them curious about him. And here's the reason why. Because the word of God pricked their hearts. It wasn't John's amazing speech. It wasn't the crazy clothes and crazy things John the Baptist did. It was the word of God that preached these young men's heart. They got them curious about Jesus. See, the spirit of God uses the word of God to show their lost person, the lost person their need for a savior. The spirit of God uses the word of God to show that lost person their need for a savior. And the only way they're going to know of that need is by hearing the word of God. How do these men get interested in Jesus? Because they heard the word of God preached. These two disciples were hungry for a relationship with Jesus. And it's clear from the fact that they had been following John the Baptist. They had been listening to everything that he had preached because he was preaching about Jesus and they wanted to know as much as they could about him. They wanted to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you folks know these people that want to have a relationship with Christ, but they just have so many questions. These disciples wanted that relationship here and he had been teaching them that the Messiah was coming and they were longing for a relationship with him once he arrived. And so when John declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God, they quickly followed Jesus. Look back at that verse. It says, and, behold, and looking upon Jesus, verse 36, he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And it says, And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. It didn't say, And they heard him speak, and they asked 17 questions, and they wanted to get an autograph, and they had to do all these different things. It said, They heard him speak. Hey, there is Jesus, the Lamb of God. And it said, What do they do next? They followed Jesus. They heard the word of God, and it pricked their heart, and when they saw who Jesus was, they followed him. Sometimes in the world that we live in today, we get caught up in this entertainment idea, whether it's as individual Christians, whether it's as a church, that we have to entertain folks to get them to come in, and that's how they're going to decide that Christianity is what they want in their life, when what they need is the word of God. What they need is the word of God preached to them preaching evangelism. John the Baptist didn't have, you know, didn't come up with different giveaway ideas and, you know, different catchy things that he could do. He said, this is the word of God. This is the Lamb of God. Let me share it with you. And that is what changed these men's life. They saw Christ. They heard about him preached. And it says they followed. And so we have to have preaching evangelism. The word of God is powerful. Hebrews chapter 4 says it's quick. It doesn't mean it moves fast, but it's alive. It's the power of God. I don't know about you, but if there's any type of power I want in my life, it's the power of God. My power does not begin to compare to the power that he has. And if you want to win souls for Christ, if you want to be the, the, the witness, the evangelist that God has called every single one of us to be, we have to preach the word of God. Preaching evangelism. But look at verse number 38. So it says in verse 37, the disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And then in verse 38 it says, Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where 
dwellest thou? We don't just see preaching evangelism here. We see questioning evangelism here as well. I think that's one of the things that many of us are afraid of when it comes to being a witness, is it not? It's the questions. Do I know the answer to why the sky is blue? Sure, I know because God made it that way. But is that going to appease this person? Do I have all of my Greek and my Hebrew? And, and, and do I know the answer to any question that could quite pop up? And the answer to that, no matter who you are, is no, right? No matter how many answers you have, there's going to be some questions that you do not have the answer to. And so we think, well, if I'm going to fail at that, if I'm not going to have the answer, why should I even bother? But here we see Jesus ask this question, what seek ye? And he was asking them, not for information, Jesus knew exactly what they were looking for, right? Jesus knew their hearts, Jesus knew their motives. He was asking them instead to really evaluate themselves, to examine their motives in following him, to do some soul searching. You know, I think that's important for every single one of us to do as well. If I were to ask you this morning, what seek ye, what would you say? If I were to ask you, what is your reason for following Christ? What is it? Well, you know, if I follow Christ, my life should be easier. You know, I shouldn't have any health problems or financial problems. You know, what is the reason that you seek Christ? Well, you know, I have a friend that seeks Christ, and he seems like he's got things going pretty well in his life, so that's what I decided to do. Well, my parents are Christians, so I'm doing the same thing that they're telling me to do. Why is it that you are seeking him? Why is it that you are following him? Examine your motives. Jesus asked them not for information, but so they can examine him. He said this also, I think, to encourage them to speak with him. Now imagine for a moment if some extremely famous person came in this room. Most of us, at least myself, I feel like I'm not important enough to talk to them. I'm just going to stay back. Imagine for a moment these people have heard about Jesus, all right? the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, and he walks into the room, what's their first thought probably going to be? I'm a fisherman. I'm some you know, no-name person that has no influence whatsoever. He probably doesn't want to talk to me. And so he seeks them out, asks them questions to help them feel welcomed here to begin to speak to him and ask questions just as much. He encourages them to speak with him, and he wants them to draw close to him and open up to do this to confess their need. I think it's important when it comes to evangelism that after sharing the word of God, we have to ask questions. Not just let them ask questions, we'll get to that, but ask questions of them as well to prompt people to open up and confess their hunger and their spiritual need as well. Now, it's one thing to give information, but as you begin to ask them questions and they begin to examine their own hearts, they begin to see the things that they're missing out on the areas that are, are deficient in their life. We have to ask questions for them to understand the needs that they have. It's interesting, just I think it was this past week, um, I think my wife, maybe she was at work or she, was, she wasn't at home and I had the kids and, uh, and so I was taking care of them as best as a dad can, right? Um, and uh, my youngest one, my, my youngest son, Benjamin, uh, seemed like he was thirsty. I mean, unfortunately, they don't come with manuals. Like there's no light up that says thirsty, hungry, dirty diaper. That'd be great. Um, and he seemed kind of fussy, so it seemed like he was thirsty. He was sitting on the couch, so I went and I got a sippy cup, and I think I put uh, water in it, probably. And I you know, took it, took, put the cap on, I gave it to him, and he took like one sip of it, and he just made this 
face, and I was like, he doesn't want water. I understand him. I don't like water either. I prefer like a Mountain Dew. Uh, and so I took the cup. I dumped out the water. I put some milk in it. Went back over, handed it to him, took a sip again, and made that weird, same weird face again. So I was like, these are your options. I was like, well, you know, I'm a terrible dad, so I'll go ahead. And I, got, I think I got some lemonade or something that we had in our, our fridge and put that in there and, you know, gave it to him. He didn't like that either at all. So I thought, that's so strange. So I took the cap off, and for whatever reason, he decided to give it a sip that time, no problem. Like, all of a sudden, you know, the lid bothered him or something. I don't know. And so I just thought it was very strange. Well, that evening at dinner, we, um, we were eating dinner, and we had given him his sippy cup once again, and he made that exact same face. And so I thought, see, I, he did that all day long. So my wife takes the lid off, and you know how a lot of these sippy cups, they have like the rubber things that you pull on and off and you can put on there? Well, I put it backwards to where you couldn't get any of the drink out whatsoever. <laughs> and so he was probably sitting there thinking the whole time, Dad, you are so ridiculous, I can't drink this at all. And I'm sitting there thinking, why don't you just drink it? He couldn't tell me the need that he had, for one, because he doesn't speak full English yet. But there are so many people in our world that have a need can I put it this way? They don't even realize it until we begin to ask them questions. And here Jesus says, what seek ye? Not to say, hey, where are you going, what you're looking for, but to say, hey, what is your heart yearning for that it does not have? So many times if we would just take the time to ask them, hey, what's going on in your life? And as they begin to open up and to share, we see and they see their need for a Savior. Jesus gives us this example in questioning evangelism. These two men responded to Jesus' question with one of their own. They say, hey, where are you sleeping? Where are you staying here in this passage? Now, they were asking for more than just where do you live. You know, hey, give me your address. These men had heard about Jesus, and they wanted to know more. They say, hey, where are you going? Because we want to go there. We want to find out more for ourselves. They needed to ask him some questions that wasn't just going to take one or two minutes. They wanted to get into this extended interview with Jesus himself. Well, Jesus, I'm sure, was busy, and they wanted to ask questions. They're requesting this interview. They didn't just ask Jesus for a minute or an opinion or a message or a miracle. They asked for his address here. They wanted to spend time with him. They wanted to know him. They wanted to know what, what caused his head to turn. What caused his heart to burn? What it was that made such an important impact in his life? They wanted to study him and follow his steps. They wanted to see him. And we also have to be open to allow the person to ask questions of their own. So they ask where he's staying. And look at verse number 39. Jesus says this. He says, He saith unto them, Come and see. The invitation to come to Jesus was the invitation for them to find out for themselves. Jesus didn't say, hey, go talk to so-and-so. Go talk to John the Baptist. He knows some more. Jesus didn't say, hey, I've got a lot going on, but go talk to uh, this disciple that's going to do great things for the Lord. Go talk to this person that's following me already. He says, come and see. The invitation to come to Jesus was an invitation to find out for themselves. One commentator tells us this. He gave them an invitation to go along with him directly and see with their own eyes where he dwelt, and there and then converse with him and at any other time to which they had a hearty welcome. Welcoming questions. You know, a legitimate answer for a question is this. I don't know. But we can find out. I don't know but I will find that answer out for you. Listen, when folks ask questions, they don't expect you to know everything. 
they don't expect you to have all the answers written on a piece of paper. But we have to be willing to allow them to ask questions, just as we ask questions. And then here in this passage, we see, as this question is asked, we see letter C here, inviting evangelism. Inviting evangelism. Come and see. Now, I think this is a great example to, to try what Jesus is saying here. Hey, come, give it a try for yourself. See what I am all about. Perhaps I think we can extend that same invitation to folks that we know. Whether it's, hey, come spend some time with me at my church. Hey, come have a meal at my home. Hey, come spend some time as, as I serve the Lord in this area. Come and see. Jesus once declared this in John chapter 7, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. What he's saying is, hey, give it a try, and then you'll see firsthand that what I've told you is true. Jesus has never given a promise, has never made a statement that is not true. And what Jesus is saying, hey, come see for yourself that what I'm saying, what I'm preaching, what I'm teaching is true. And inviting evangelism. Jesus invited these two men to lodge with him and spend the night. The verse here says now it was about the 10th hour. According to how time was kept in that day, that means it was probably around four o'clock in the afternoon, as best as I can figure. So uh, just a little bit before it began to get dark. If he was in Ohio, of course, it would already be dark at four o'clock in the afternoon in the middle of the winter. Um, But it was getting towards nighttime here. And so it says, they, d- they came and saw where he dwelt in a boat with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And they began to ask questions, and it was getting close to dark, and these men were anxious to talk to Jesus. So they spent probably the rest of that day, and probably even perhaps most of that night, in his presence. And what's amazing is, as one person said this, they spent the rest of their lives in his service. And inviting evangelism. You know, it's interesting, I have, I don't know if some of you folks have perhaps parents or grandparents that are this way, um, and I love my grandparents dearly, but I have a, a, a grandmother and grandfather that show up unannounced. Any of you guys have grandparents like that at all, or, or some folks like that? Like, you know, there's no text message, there's no anything, you know, they just show up. And in my mom, my grandmother has this amazing knack for showing up at the worst times. Like, if my house ever catches on fire, she's going to come over that exact moment, you know. We could have, you know, one kid's in the bathtub, you know, everything's destroyed in the home, and that is when she shows up. And it cracks me up because uh, it's almost like when something's going wrong in the house, we look at each other and say, a grandma's got to be coming pretty soon. <laughs> And it's interesting because it reminds me of, I heard this one said, of how uninviting sometimes we are today. When you think about previous generations where they always had, you know, a cup of coffee on and a pie sitting on the middle of the plate, and they were almost waiting for someone to show up. And nowadays, we live the life where, you know, we don't have coffee on for anybody. And if, you know, we hear the doorbell ring, it's like, oh no, like, turn the lights off, get down, like, everybody hide in the room, like, we don't want anybody to know we're here. And you're laughing because... I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm that way. Like, you know, no, if someone's going to show up, they better send me, like, at least a three-day notice. Um, and then we're going to clean like crazy. And when they show up, we're going to be like, oh, we didn't have a chance to clean at all. <laughs> and when it comes to evangelism, I really think we need to get back to being more inviting and welcoming. Um, not just, hey, come to my church, although that's great, but letting them into your space. Most folks are one to Christ through a relationship. 
I love door-to-door evangelism. I think it is very important for us to get out there and knock on doors and share the gospel. But many more are one to Christ through someone you work with or someone you see at family reunions or someone you spend time with at school or, or, or someone you know as an acquaintance in your own personal life and you have a relationship with them and through them seeing Christ change your life and how you're different, you have a chance to share the gospel with them. But the only way they're ever going to get close enough to know what the difference maker is in your life is if we learn to be more inviting. Invite them to church, yes, but take them out for a meal afterwards. Have them come over to your house so you can have an extended interview, so to speak, with them, and they can ask questions, and you can spend time together fellowshipping. Jesus here didn't say, hey, I've got things to do, all right? Don't you know I'm the Savior of the world? He said, hey, come and see. Inviting evangelism. And so there's the evangelistic gospel Jesus is. Not only must we see Jesus as the evangelistic gospel, but we also have to see Jesus as the leading gospel. Look with me at verse number 40, and let's see what happens here. Verse number 40, it says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by the interpretation a stone. What I want us to grasp from this passage here, the rest of this passage, is how Jesus' followers learned from his example. And so they adopted his practices and his style of evangelism here. And verse 40 shares that one of John's two disciples here was a disciple who, Jesus, who had followed Jesus, whose name was Andrew, which the Bible says here was Peter's brother. See, Andrew was so overjoyed with his discovery of Jesus and who he was and how life-changing he was, the Bible says here that he just had to tell someone about it. He was so excited about Jesus and knowing him that he had to tell someone else. You know, whenever we come to know Christ as the Messiah and Savior who saves us from our sins, both past, present, and future here, then we too should have that overflowing joy that simply this, we cannot contain it. We cannot help but tell other people how Christ has changed our life. And we see this in the life of Andrew right here. Now keep in mind this, all believers are expected to share about Christ. Matthew chapter 28, many of you perhaps know this already, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Nowhere in that verse does it say pastors, evangelists, missionaries, assistant pastors. All it says is this, go ye therefore. Who do you think that ye is addressed to? It's all of us. And if we're not careful, so many times we've taken this great commission, as we call it, and we've changed it to the great suggestion. Hey, if you've got some free time, tell someone about Jesus. Hey, if you're not embarrassed, go ahead and tell someone about Jesus. Hey, if the question comes up in conversation, tell someone about Jesus. And yet here he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. All of us as Christians are called to be sharing the gospel. And so we see Jesus' leadership in the gospel. Letter A there in your notes, if you're following along, is this, a prompt leading. A prompt leading. Since the natural response to finding Jesus is being excited and you have to tell other people here, the question is this, who should we share it with first? Look at verse number 41, it says this, he says, He first findeth his own 
brother Simon. Before he found any other person, he went in haste in search of his family, his friends, his acquaintances, to communicate what he had seen in Christ and what he had heard about Christ and what he had learned about Christ in order to bring them into the knowledge of the exact same thing. If you feel led to share your faith in Christ, then it begins with those who are closest to you. Now, those are the hardest to share the gospel with, aren't they? Because they know where you failed. They know where you have faults. They know where you've stumbled. And yet, Andrew here very first goes to his brother, a prompt leading. He didn't want to waste any time like, I need to go, you know, I need to send out a survey and find out who's interested, and then I'll go talk to them. As soon as he learned about Jesus Christ, he was instantly out there and said, hey, my brother, I can talk to him. He's right there. And he shares Jesus with him. Now, what's interesting is this. In verse number 41, you'll see Andrew made reference to the scripture just as John the Baptist had done earlier. Verse 41, he says, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. In one statement, once again, Andrew makes references to scripture after scripture after messianic prophecy here, sharing about who Jesus was. And so once again, Andrew allows the word of God to stir in Peter's heart. He didn't have to come up with some tricky spiel of, hey, uh, you know, hey, follow me. I've got, some, I've got a unique prize over here. Or, hey, 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 I want to show you something, but it's a secret. He instantly begins to share scripture with Peter. Hey, the Messiah is here, and I want you to meet him. He did this with the intention of bringing Peter to Jesus. Notice what the text says next. So look at verse number 42. It says, and he brought him to Jesus. The purpose of persuading him to go along with him and showed him where he was. He didn't expect Peter to accept his testimony right away. He didn't expect Peter to say, all right, he's the Messiah, let's do this. He brought him along here to see Jesus for himself. He asked him to personally go see Jesus, that he might become acquainted with him. And why did he do that? Because he was certain that if Peter could just meet Jesus he would be totally convinced of who he was. He knew that if he could meet Jesus and see him for himself, his life would be changed as well. You know, the main thing that we're responsible for in evangelism is having the courage to invite people to Jesus. You ever felt this way? You know, I, I, I've invited people to church. I've invited, you know, I, I've shared the gospel with people, but they never ever get saved, and so I'm just failing. Now, you feel like if you if you go door knocking at all, you know, you feel like for every thousand doors you knock on, at least one of them will take a flyer, but they'll probably throw it in the trash right after you leave the doorstep. You feel like if my job in evangelism is to see people get saved, then I'm failing terribly. When in fact, your job in evangelism is not to see people get saved at all. It's to simply invite them to Jesus Christ. Listen, you go knock on 100 doors, you share 100 gospel tracts with folks and not a single one of them gets saved, you are still doing what God has called you to do. It's not your job to get them saved. It's the, the gospel is the power of God and salvation. The word of God promises not to return void. And so don't lean back and say, you know what, I haven't had someone get saved yet. It's not your job to get them saved. It's your job to let them see Jesus. And we see a prompt leading. Andrew didn't try to sell Jesus to them. He said, hey, let me show you Jesus, and he will take care of the rest. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that it's not my responsibility for someone to get saved. Because you don't have to listen to me speak for too long to realize that 
I'm not necessarily the best speaker. You know, I don't have the big words. I always joke around with, with Pastor. Um, you know, we, uh, we're going through this study uh, closer. And so he was one to keep uh, with that theme. And so he gave me the passage and kind of the, the, the title, so to speak. I was like, well, are you going to give me the outline as well? But he, he gave me an outline, and the words were too big, so I had to use something different. And it was just, you know, I'm not the most uh, well-studied person, perhaps, as far as, you know, my master's and doctorate and all these things. But that's not how I win people to Christ. That's not my job is to have all the answers. My job is just to bring them to Jesus. And it's something we've tried to emphasize with our kids. Uh, many of our kids play baseball here in the, in the Worcester League. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to, to really to be a minister. And I say that not to say, you know, so we can miss church and go to sports because we make sure not to do that. But it's been a great opportunity for us to, to minister to those folks that perhaps don't go to church, or don't know uh, that there's a church in the area. And every single year, usually, um, I'll coach a t-ball team, and sometimes I'll coach a couple of the other kids' teams as well. And what we'll do is it usually ends just before vacation Bible school. And so at the end of the year, um, we'll make sure to, to take, take bags and put snacks in them and put a VBS flyer in there. And just a chance to invite folks to church to VBS, very non-confrontational, but for them to hear about Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, they do it every single year, year in and year out. And we've had a couple of folks come because of that. Um, but sometimes uh, some of my kids get discouraged because, you know, they hand out all these flyers and, you know, either one person came or, or nobody came. And they think, you know, it was just a total fail, a total waste of time. And I can't help but emphasize to them over and over and over, it's not our job to make sure they come to Jesus. It's not our job to make sure that they know who Jesus is or that they get saved. It's our job to invite them to let them see Jesus. Perhaps it's at church. Perhaps it's seeing Christ in you and the way that you behave and act. And here we see this prompt leading of, G of Andrew saying, hey, come and see Jesus. He didn't waste time saying, okay, I need to get all these things together. Well, I need to check my schedule and see when I can invite someone to see Jesus. He said, hey, Peter's right there. I'm going to invite him first. A prompt leading. What Andrew learned about inviting people to see Jesus was incorporated into a lifestyle of invitation. And there's a good example in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus saw the multitude of people gathered before him, he asked Philip this question, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And if you remember at all, Philip was kind of perplexed and wasn't sure what to do. But Andrew brought this young boy over to meet Jesus. Andrew spoke up and said, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. It was from that child's bread and his fish that Jesus performed his miracle of feeding the 5,000. And the mode of inviting, being welcome, and inviting people to come and see Jesus, even this young boy and the miracle that was performed from it. And my question to you this morning is, are you prompt and leading? When Jesus says, hey, go talk to that person, do you do it? Or you say, ah, I don't know them very much. I've kind of got a busy schedule. Jesus was the leading example here to be prompt. When God moves you to do something, obey. I know all of us have used this on our kids. Delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. And yet, how many times as Christians do we say, ah, oh, God, maybe later. And eh, right now isn't the best time. Andrew sees Jesus. Andrew follows Jesus. And he immediately says, hey, I'm going to go tell somebody else about Jesus. doesn't matter what that person decides. I'm going to let them see Jesus for who he is. A prompt leading. But then we also see a precise leading. Look at verse number 43. John chapter 1, verse 43, it says, 
The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, which we've talked about a little bit already. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth and the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. You notice in verse 43 that Jesus here extends this invitation to, to Philip. He said what? Follow me. Jesus invites Philip to come and see and to experience him firsthand. And when Philip comes to know Jesus Christ here, he just had to tell somebody else about it. And so this person he first told is Nathaniel. Now, based on Scripture, we don't know a whole lot about Nathaniel as far as his background and much information about him. But it does share a little bit about Nathaniel here uh, in this passage. It says here he could have either been Philip's friend or his neighbor. And when we do know, though, is that he was someone who had been searching for this, through the Scriptures most of his life. If you look at verse number 47, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And so it's, seen, it's, it's kind of surmised and referred here that since Nathanael was called this Israelite who has no guile, that he, was faith, he was a faithful Jew who had probably committed himself to the study of the law and the prophets here. And the first thing that Philip declared to him was, hey, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. It was a strategic move on Philip's part, for he knew that Nathanael's heart was fertile soil in which to plant this seed of faith. The seed that Philip planted in his heart was the word of God, just as John the Baptist had done for Andrew and Andrew had done for Peter. Because remember, as Romans said already, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. And so he reminds Nathanael of what the scriptures had said about the coming Messiah. And when Nathanael replies with skepticism, Philip says in verse number 46, what does he say here? He says, come and see. Man, I love that invitation. All of us can say, come and see. But we don't have to have all those big words once again. Just a simple come and see. What Philip learned about inviting people to Jesus was seen in his whole lifestyle as well. In John chapter 12, we read about how some Greeks had come to Jerusalem to worship at the Passover, and they approached Philip wanting to see Jesus. And Philip tells Andrew about it, and they both invite these Greeks to come and see Jesus once again. They follow Christ's example in being inviting. And we see over and over here the precise leading. Listen, I'm all about a prompt leading, doing it right away, but being precise as well. You know, we can be wise in who we talk to. We can have our eyes open in who we share the gospel with. So many times we, I myself, and maybe you've prayed this before, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. But how many times has God given me an opportunity and my heart and my eyes have not been prepared for it and I missed that opportunity? If you were to look on a daily basis at how many opportunities and have your heart open to how many opportunities God gives us to share the gospel, you would be floored with how many times you miss it. And I miss it just as well. We cannot say that we do not have opportunities to share the gospel. Listen, you go into a Walmart and look how many people are sad. I mean, if they're not wearing a mask, you can see the frown on their face usually. And you're not too happy of people usually. We have thousands of opportunities to share the gospel. Instead of just praying, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel, God, give me the boldness and courage 
to share it when that opportunity comes along. How many times have I had a chance to say, ah, it's just not the right timing? He was precise in his leading. He didn't just say, oh, you know, it's just not going to work out today. He said, hey, I see someone with my own eyes that has been a faithful Jew and knows the scriptures. I'm going to share the gospel with them. That doesn't just mean when people come to church, share the gospel with them. There are folks out there that know nothing about the scriptures whatsoever. We need to be sharing with them as well. But we need to have a plan in place. You know, we talk about in the business world, those that fail to plan, plan to fail. But how many times do we go out witnessing and have no plan whatsoever? Hey, you know, I'm going to hand them a flyer, and hopefully that'll be the end of the conversation. Hey, I'm going to knock on this door, perhaps, and I hope nobody answers. I can just leave a John and Romans or a track on there, and nothing more. And yet, when someone answers a door, <gasps> um, uh, bye. Like, we, we got to run a ding-dong ditch kind of idea. He was precise in his leaning. Sometimes we love people as a whole, and fail to love individuals. In the book of John, I'll be preaching on this in a few weeks, John chapter 3, verse 16, a very familiar verse, a verse it says this, what? For God so loved the world. That does not mean that he just loved everybody on the planet. That means he loved the individuals in this world. And sometimes we mistake loving a group of people, like, I love you all, for saying, hey, I love you as an individual. And it's about sharing the gospel with individuals. It's about an individual life change. You know, I love doing vacation Bible school every single year because it gives me a chance to be crazy with the kids um, and I can just blame it on the kids. Um, but it's a chance to impact individual lives. We could have a vacation Bible school one year and run 100 people, and if only one person gets saved, it was worth it. And I think we lose the impact of a soul saved. I think we lose the impact of one person's life changing for eternity. They weren't just interested in, hey, I need to preach to the masses. And it's great to get a crowd and share the gospel with them, don't get me wrong. But I need to be sharing it with individual people as well. And they learn from the example of Jesus Christ, a precise leading you never know the lasting effects of one small invitation. Never know the impact that it will have for eternity on inviting one person to come and see Jesus Christ. Andrew invited Peter to come and see Jesus. Peter eventually became the head of the New Testament church as we know it. Jesus recognized his role when he declares, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is interpreted as stone. Even in Matthew, Jesus addresses Peter. He says this, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. Philip invited Nathaniel to come and see Jesus, and Nathaniel became a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, who began later inviting people to Christ as well. For a disciple of Christ, fishing is a metaphor for being a fisher of men. And I don't know how many of you enjoy fishing, I prefer like some exciting fishing, like deep sea fishing. Like I'm not too big of a fan of sitting at the pond and you know just casting all day long and getting some sunburn. But if you go fishing at all, it's not very exciting to just catch one fish, is it? Now, every single fish is important, but I want to catch multitudes of fish. 
You know, the disciples, as they fished, wanted to catch multitudes of fish. But it began with one fish here. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we settle for small things. And each individual matters. But we see here that multitudes are affected through the witness of individuals. Fishers of men. The lesson that Christ taught his disciples was that no one can lead an individual to the Lord apart from his help. You can have all the big words, but apart from the help of Jesus Christ, apart from the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you cannot lead someone to Christ yourself. That person will never come to understand their need for a Savior unless the Holy Spirit convicts them through the preaching and the sharing of the Word of God here. But you never know the lasting effects of one small invitation. I want to share an illustration real quick, and we'll be just about finished about a Sunday school teacher who was faithful to invite his students to come and see Jesus. Maybe perhaps some of you have heard this before, and I had never seen this before in such an amazing pattern. A gentleman by the name of Edward Kimball was concerned about one of his young Sunday school students who worked at a shoe store in town. And so one day Kimball visited him at the store, found the student working in the back stocking shelves, and led him to Christ then and there. That student eventually left the shoe store to become one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time. His name is D.L. Moody. Moody, whose international speaking took him to the British Isles, preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man with the name of Frederick B. Meyer. In his sermon, Moody told an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher who personally went to every student in his class and led each of them to Christ. And that message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist, just like Moody, gentleman we know as F.B. Meyer today. Now, none of these men I'm saying are perfect. All of us have faults and failures, but we see great things done for Christ through them. Meyer was encouraged to reach out more to the lost, and he became one of England's most sought-after preachers, published many books, which are still being used today. Meyer spoke regularly, though, in the United States. On one of his evangelistic tours there, a young student named Wilbur Chapman professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapman, believing the importance of challenging people about faith in Jesus for years to come, toured the U.S. with the message that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To help him spread the good news, Chapman asked a young convert named Billy Sunday to help him with his evangelistic efforts. Billy Sunday was an ex-baseball player and was a very popular evangelist. Obviously, we know greatly used of God for the salvation of lost souls. In 1924, Billy Sunday held an evangelistic campaign in Charlotte, North Carolina. After the meeting, a number of men met together regularly to pray for conversions. Ten years later, they held a prayer meeting on the property of Franklin Graham. They were praying about a forthcoming evangelistic campaign. One of the men prayed that out of their own area, the Lord would raise up one who would preach the gospel faithfully. During that campaign, Billy Graham was saved. Because of what Edward Kimball did for the Lord, countless souls have found the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and the number of people who have been converted through the chain of events started with Edward Kimball is incalculable. And we have to remember that people are still being converted through that chain of events, which continues today. Now, as I said, none of those men are perfect. Let's be honest for a moment in our own hearts and admit that none of us are. 
But the impact that was made and is still being made by one man who was faithful to say, come and see, is amazing. And if you'll be faithful to invite just one person to come and see Christ, it could change the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is the gospel to every single person. Jesus is the good news. He's the great news to every single person. He's the evangelistic gospel, but he's also the leading gospel. I love to share good news. You love to share good news. My question for you this morning is, are you sharing the best news? Let's pray.